again and turn with me to James chapter 3. We're working our way through the book of James. And uh, this morning uh, we're going to continue and we're looking at the climbing tom. No, it's not the climbing tom. It's the flaming tom. The flaming tom. Now I had a football coach, basketball coach in high school always called me flaming, you know, and so I answer to that, uh, and I often tell people, they ask me what my name is, and I say, my name is Daryl Flaming, because then I want them to get the spelling correct, okay, uh, if I say Fleming, they put two M's in there, it's like Fleming, they put an E in there, and so, uh, I even have a brother and his family who live down in Texas, and they talk weird in Texas anyway. But uh, uh, they say their name is Fleming. Fleming. Well, uh, that's me. Uh, but I still, I still acknowledge him as my brother, okay? So uh, even though he spells his name just like I do. This morning we'll talk about the flaming tongue. The flaming tongue uh, here in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And many of us have seen or perhaps been troublemakers in school. I don't know that I could point uh, to whoever is the troublemaker uh, as a reputation here this morning, but I think I have some ideas. But anyway, uh, many of us know that there are troublemakers when we go to school. Sometimes there's troublemakers in churches. And it's usually the tongue that gets people in trouble. It's usually the tongue. Uh, here at the beginning of chapter 3, James is going to deal with the world's smallest yet most destructible troublemaker, our tongue. So let's notice, first of all, in James chapter 3, uh, the perfect man. The perfect man, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to look here at, at these two verses to begin with. My brethren, have not, excuse me, chapter 3. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Two characteristics of a mature Christian that have been given to us uh, thus far in our study of the book of James. Uh, chapter 1, we are told uh, be, uh, about being patient in trouble. Being patient uh, my brethren, count all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith, faith worketh patience. Uh, chapter two, uh, we're talked about, are told to practice the truth. Not only be uh, uh, in chapter two, uh, practice the truth in relationship to others. Uh, here in this chapter, chapter three, we're having uh, it's about having power over the tongue. Now here, apparently the. Christians that James was preaching to, he says, my brethren, so they're believers, they're Christians, but they were having trouble with their tongue. The tongue is mentioned in every chapter, actually, of this book. So apparently it was the uh, area that they were having difficulty in. James knew that the control of the tongue was a barometer of Christian maturity. I noticed several uh, very important points in these first two verses, I think, of chapter 3. First, there's a uh, uh, caution of the people. The caution of the people. He says, My brethren, be not many masters. Some men 
have uh, may have thought the position of rabbi or master or teacher uh, uh, may have sought that position. Uh, they thought it was important, so they thought, well, I need to be a, a, a master. I need to be a, a teacher. Uh, and uh, they thought that would be considered as to be important, uh, as important as the needs of a parent. You know, the position of a teacher or a leader has tremendous responsibility. It has a tremendous accountability and also a condemnation. He said, we shall receive the greater condemnation. Notice here, the not only this caution, be not, but then notice the condemnation of this professor. Not a professor in the sense of a college degree uh, teacher, but a possessor, professor of, 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 of things and uh, wanting to be that master. My, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation Condemnation for in many things we offend all. And perhaps this is why, even as a young man, I think I've told uh, uh, many of you this before, some of you uh, are visiting, so you may not have heard me say this, but uh, uh, there, uh, when I was thinking about becoming a pastor, I believe God wanted me to uh, be a pastor, and, uh, and I thought I should do it. Uh, I began to... to let that be known that God had called me to do that. It's a tremendous responsibility being a preacher and a pastor. And uh, uh, I was told, though, that if there was anything else I could do, to do it. You know, if I had any other kind of uh, skill or uh, desire, and maybe that's why I kind of put off becoming a pastor. I was a school teacher for 16 years. And so, uh, but I look at being a teacher as preparation for being a pastor. So uh, it was all in, I think, God's working uh, through my life. But he told me, this was from another pastor, he said, if there's anything you can do, uh, do it. Well, this caused the tremendous responsibility, uh, the tremendous accountability. Uh, and uh, why are leaders condemned? It's because we offend people. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes when you preach the Word of God, especially if you're going to be faithful to the Word of God, you're going to offend people. People are not going to like what you're saying. And so, and I'm not just talking about preachers or pastors. If you talk, I'm talking about any leader, whether you're a leader in the home or you're a leader here in the church or on your job, uh, you're going to offend somebody. How is it that we offend others? Well, there's two, two ways in which we offend others. One is when we're wrong. You know, when we're wrong, the word offend comes from a word which means to cause one to stumble or to fall or to make a mistake or error, uh, to sin, to fall into misery, to slip up. And another way to say this is in many things or ways we stumble. You know, we tend to slip up or stumble when we're taken off guard. And when we lose our temper, we suffer from a slip of tongue. We say things that we'll regret later. Uh, leaders do make mistakes. Okay? Don't expect leaders to be perfect people. If you do, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, when we're wrong, we offend, and we cause other people to stumble. So there's one way in which we offend, but we also offend when we're right. Uh, we offend people when we're truthful, when we're accurate, when we're right. We offend people when we preach the truth. Uh, when we discipline, when we counsel, when we set rules or we correct those who are wrong, you cannot and will not please 
everybody. That's the toughest part of ministry. I'd rather have people mad at me for telling the truth and for what was right than to uh, have them love me for telling them a lie and something that was wrong. I thank God for putting me into the ministry. I thank God for giving a desire to preach the truth of God's Word. And I'd rather be doing this than anything else in the world. Because it's a joyous delight to share God's wonderful truth and promises with others. Now, I don't get up on Sunday morning and say, Boy, I hate to go to church this morning. I'm going to have to preach. I actually look forward to it. And, uh, uh, and yet, I realize that in my preaching, it's going to, be some, it's going to offend somebody. My desire is to be truthful and accurate. And I trust the Lord will give me the grace to admit it when I'm wrong. So we offend people, number one, when we're wrong. We offend people when we're right. So notice then thirdly the characteristic of a perfect man. If any offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and also able also to bridle the whole body. The word perfect here comes from the word which means full grown, lacking nothing. It talks about being mature. The perfect or mature man does not slip up in his words. He's careful in what he says. He realizes that the tongue can ruin reputations and break people's hearts. It's a sign of our maturity, and it's going to be revealed by what we say. Uh, Someone has said, Speak, friend, that I may see thee. Speak, friend, that I may see thee. You say, well, that sounds kind of awkward. You know, in order to see somebody, you have to see them with your eyes, not hear them with your ears. But this uh, saying said, speak, friend, that I may see thee. See, the perfect and mature man realizes the tongue, the world's smallest, most destructible, uh, destructive troublemaker. If you can get into a serious trouble, it'll also get you out if you think before you speak. Now, perhaps you've heard about the fellow who was uh, on the first day of his new job. He was a new uh, worker in the produce department. I don't think it was in uh, our produce uh, department. I don't know. But uh, a lady came up to him and said she wanted to buy a half of a head of lettuce. And he tried to dissuade her from the goal, but she persisted. And finally she said, I'll have to go back and talk to the manager. Well, she, he went to the rear of the store and talked to the manager, not noticing the woman was walking right behind him. And when he got to the back of the store, he said to the manager, there's some stupid old lady out here who wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. What should I tell her? Well, seeing the horrified look on the manager's face, he turned around seeing the woman. He said, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half of the head of lettuce. <laughs> Will that be Okay. Well, considerably relieved, the manager said that would be fine. Well, later in the day, the manager congratulated the young man for his quick thinking. And then he said, where did you come from? The boy said, uh, I'm from Toronto, Canada, the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. The manager looked at him and said, my wife is from Toronto. The boy very wisely said, oh, and what hockey team did she play for? <laughs> This is a quick thinker. Well, I don't know if he was a perfect man, 
but his tongue probably got him into trouble more times than it got him out. You have to admit he was a quick thinker. And so we find here uh, the, the tongue uh, and some things about it. Notice, secondly, the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue, and as we continue on verse 3. In verses 3 through 6, it says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, and that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and set upon fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. I think most of us would know what took place on 9-11-2001. Every one of us would say, oh, I, I know exactly what happened there. In fact, I remember where I was on that terrible day. But I think uh, we very few of us would remember what happened on September the 11th, 1995. Some of you weren't even born then, but uh, uh, those of us that were uh, would probably say, hmm, what happened on September the 11th, 1995? Well, on that day... A squirrel climbed up on the Metro North Railroad power lines of New York, near New York City, and it set off an electrical surge, which weakened an overhead bracket, which let a wire dangle toward the tracks, which got tangled in a train, which tore down all the lines, and as a result, 47,000 commuters were struck in, stuck in Manhattan for hours that evening. A little squirrel did a lot of damage. And James is telling us even something small, as small as the tongue, can cause a lot of damage too. You know, bits and rudders are very small comparatively, but they have the power to direct. You know, the effect of the lives of others. You know, a runaway horse or a, a shipwreck can mean death of many people. A German battleship, Bismarck, was destroyed, eventually destroyed in World War II because of the damaged rudder. If the rudder is unattended, the ship will flounder without direction and eventually it will crash into the rocks of the shore. And when our tongue is out of control like an unattended rudder, it will bring disaster. And for this, need, this reason, we need the Lord's direction in our lives. The tongue is very small, yet powerful. And if we control it, we can control the whole body. Our words lead to deeds. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. There was a World War II poster that said, Loose lips sink ships. Death and life were in the power of the tongue. For example, a judge pronounces a sentence, guilty or not guilty. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The president signs papers and speaks words that can lead a nation into war. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And James gives us a command. He says, behold, behold. He says, 
Pay close attention. The tongue is a fire. James then says how great a matter or a forest, a little fire of fire of flames kindles. You know, one match, one little match can burn thousands and thousands of acres. If we think about the fires that are going on in California, I don't know, but I've heard how they started, but many of those fires, those great fires that our country has, can be started by just a one little match. Now there are two reasons that fire, the tongue damages like a forest fire. First of all, its destruction and damage is widespread uh, uh, ranging. It can do damage or it can kill at a distance. Uh, it can cause harm all over the world. Words have the power to destroy. I know I'm making a number of references here to World War II. Again, this is probably the history teacher in me that brings out some of these things because there are great lessons in history. And if we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them, right? Mm -hmm. You've heard that, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But uh, every word written in Adolf Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, for every word, 125 people die. Every For every word. Two out of every three European Jews were killed in that war. And this was the result of one man's tongue. The tongue can curse, cajole, corrupt, castigate, complain, criticize people into destruction, disturb, discouragement, depression, and even death. So its destruction is wide-ranging. Secondly, the damage is uncontrollable. It's impossible to kill a rumor or capture a spoken word. You say something is hope. Oh, I wish I could take that back. It's impossible. Once you've said it, you've said it. There are three things that can't be taken back. A spent arrow, a, broke, a spoken word, and a lost opportunity. You know, the wild nature of the tongue can bring great pain and torment to us and others. Speak when you're angry, You'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Your tongue can sting and inflict intense pain in the lives of others. There's a terrible uh, tree that grows in Australia. It's called by the natives there the stinging tree. They say if you try to imagine a monster nettle tree, a hackberry tree for instance, you can get the idea of its characteristics. Fortunately, it has a very unpleasant odor so that the natives and the animals can easily avoid it. At first, the sting or the prick of the tree's thorns do not trouble one at all. The, pe uh, the person feels no pain, whatever. But in a few minutes, he's in agony. Weeks and months afterward, he suffers if water touches the wound. When a dog is pricked by it, it is a pitiful thing to hear him whine and cry and to see the and bite pieces of his flesh from the uh, from the place where it's stung. The tree amply illustrates the pain that can be inflicted on a person, even by our tongue. It's an illustration. Life is full of that which torments us. You know, uh, we have the flies, the bees, uh, uh, the wasp, uh, maybe a tooth or an earache or uh, a little tiny mosquito. Uh, makes uh, those whining sounds like a Scottish bagpipe could even be uh, something that, that bothers us. Uh, the, 
behavior. A little bit of a mosquito can, can uh, cause malaria. It can cause the West Nile virus. And all of those things torment us, but none of those things torment us like the tunnel. It sets a fire on the course of nature, the Bible says us, tells us. The phrase literally means the wheel of being. The ancients used the picture of the wheel to describe life in several ways. And since the wheel is a circle or a hole, it can re represent the totality of life. It can also represent the ups and downs of life. You know how a wheel comes up and then it goes down. Since any part of the wheel is going either up or down. Life is always changing for us. And what times, uh, when we have times of trials and peace and happiness and sorrow... Uh, thirdly, the wheel also represents the cycles or the repetitions of life because it is always rolling back over itself repeatedly. You know, life has variables, but it also has repetition day by day. James says the tongue can set on fire the whole course of our lives. And for that reason, we use our tongue to share the fire and the light of the gospel. One person can be used in a great way, or one person can be used in a very damaging way. A story is told of a lady who was fixing a box for missionaries in India. And a child came to the door and gave her a penny. This was all she had. She wanted to be used of the Lord. So with this penny, the Christian lady purchased a gospel tract and put it into the box. This gospel tract eventually found its way into the hands of a Burmese chief who read it and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. The chief shared this with his friends and his family, what Christ had done for him. And many of them also believed in the Lord and they threw away their idols. There was a church that was built in the village and the missionary was sent there to teach them the word of God. And at least, at least 1,500 people were converted to Christ from paganism. All of that was because of one shiny little penny given to the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart of love and faith. Little things matter. So notice thirdly with me the poison of the tongue. The poison of the tongue. Verse 7 and verse 8. It says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Men have tamed many beasts. You know, you have uh, some who uh, mess around with snakes. Now, some of us wouldn't, wouldn't even come close to the snakes, but they like to tame the snake and make it do what they want it to do. How about lions? We talked about lions this morning and tigers. Uh, but the Bible says the tongue is untamable. The nature in, is wild. Uh, it rebels against restraint. And our only hope in getting control of them is the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You know, I'm told that each year, 50 to 60,000 people die from snake bites. There's one snake called the Inland Taipan Snake of Australia. It's the most venomous snake in the world. The venom of one bite will kill a hundred people. Few people survive its bite before an anti-venom venom was developed. 
And this, the venom of a blue ring octopus can kill a person within minutes as it shuts down the heart and the lungs. There's the death stalker scorpion in Africa. In the Middle East, it's very, and in the, in the Middle East, it's very small, but it's very deadly. Its pincers uh, may be small and slim, but its sting is very powerful. Its sting causes extreme pain, convulsions, and paralyzed, uh, perilous, and, uh, and death. And then there's the bit of the uh, the bite of the Sydney funnel web spider can kill a person within 15 minutes. In the insect world, the most painful sting does not come from a bee or a wasp or a hornet. It comes from an ant. Harvester ants. With the venom are the most toxic insects on earth. Their sting produces intense pain up to four hours. A scientist was fa has found out that the poison from the skin of a, uh, of a tiny South American tree frog is far more toxic than any other known venom. Rainforest Indians use the venom from the skin of the uh, uh frog to poison their blowgun arrows. And as painful and deadly as these venoms are, you know what? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing compares to the poison and venom of the tongue. That's what the Bible is teaching us. You can tame all kinds of beasts. They can be the, the most uh, deadly kinds of beasts in their bites and so forth. But no man can tame the tongue. Billions are bitten by it each day in the world. And so James says the tongue is unruly. When we say unruly, it means uh, uh, that it cannot be restrained, cannot be held back. It suggests the idea of a wild animal fighting fiercely against the restraints of captivity. The tongue is full and completely saturated with deadly venom and poison. That's what the word is here in our Bibles. The word poison is the same word for rust. The tongue is as deadly as a snake bite or rust when it gets into the bloodstream of a person. It's deadly because it destroys a person mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. It can shatter homes. It can ruin churches. It can tear down nations and its relationship, the relationships of close friends. The label for poison, the skull and crossbones, should be held over everybody's mouth. Our tongue is a blabbermouth that reveals what's going on in the heart. It reveals the true nature of the person and monitors the spiritual temperature of every individual. And so, uh, in the Jewish world, the rabbis spoke of the tongue as an arrow rather than a dagger or a sword because it would kill from a great distance. Scientists tell us that once a sound wave is set into a motion, it continues on a never-ending journey. You know, we have sophisticated enough instruments we could recapture and reproduce the waves, but that would mean that our words then could be retrieved. Some of us wouldn't want that. Men do not have that capability, but you know what? God does. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37 says, But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. 
For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now how can we begin to get some kind of control over the tongue? Go with me for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Just notice with me uh, several things here concerning getting control over the tongue. Colossians chapter 3. And you'll notice there, first of all, in verse 1 and 2. Colossians chapter 3. Let start with verse 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Control your thoughts and attitudes. Set your affection on things above. Go down to verse 8. Verse 8, it says, Now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And then verse uh, 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So first of all, control your tongue by controlling your thoughts and your attitudes. Forgive those who have hurt or offended you. And then thirdly, yield to the Holy Spirit's control. Verse 14, and above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Yield to the Holy Spirit's control in your life. And then in verse 15, it says there, to be thankful and grateful for what God has done uh, and, and others have done. And then fifthly, saturate your heart and the word of, with the word of God and spiritual songs. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then verse 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You see, you glorify God with your tongue. You control your tongue. You forgive those who offend you. You yield to the Holy Spirit. You're thankful. You're grateful for what God has done. You saturate your heart with the Word of God and spiritual songs. And you glorify God with your tongue and with your life. And then notice, fourthly, the problem with consistency. You go back to James here in verses 9 through 12. James chapter 3. Uh, verse 9 through 12. Here it says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive leaves, either vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. You see, because the tongue is untamable, it's inconsistent. You see, one minute we may be blessing God and another we may be cursing men. And James makes it very clear that this is a great big no-no. Uh, the words ought not 
are very strong here. They're very emphatic. It's a negative command. Our inconsistency creates confusion. It creates resentment in the hearts of those uh, who we are talking to. It creates uh, in, uh, resentment, even in grief, the Holy Spirit. When we are yielded to the Spirit, our tongue can do great good. You know, the tongue can be uh, helpful or it can be hurtful. It can bring balm rather than blister, and it can be pure instead of putrid. Our tongue can place smiles rather than frowns on faces and can bless rather than blaspheme. Uh, as destructive as the tongue in, it can also be one of the greatest powers for good in this world. It creates enthusiasm uh, with its elegant appeal to the conscience. The tongue is the most stirring musical instrument in the world. Uh, it's a trumpet for truth. It's a bugle ringing out a clarion call to duty. It's the flute with the soft, sweet melodies of love. And the tongue can be filled with honey instead of poison if we'll give it to the Lord. Why not use your tongue to bring life instead of death? Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Peter gave his tongue to the Lord, and 3,000 people bent their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost and trusted him as their Savior. Paul was a killer of Christians before he was saved, and when the Lord was given control of his tongue, it was so powerful it caused the powerful Felix to tremble under conviction. You see, the tongue can be helpful or hurtful. The tongue can bless or curse can be a blessing or a curse. Uh, when it blesses, it comforts those who need comfort. The tongue of Abraham Lincoln spoke three minutes at Gettysburg with such sense of emotional power and that not a single cheer arose from this massive audience. His words like a silver bell will ring in the hearts of men for centuries to come. The tongue of Winston Churchill inspired patriotism and courage and fortitude and resolve in the allied nations of the world at midnight of the darkest days of World War II when Hitler was knocking at England's door. He used his tongue to protect life by standing up as an, uh, an instigator uh, of death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, as the Bible tells us. And it's wise to yield control of it to the Spirit. I close with this story this morning from D.L. Moody. Uh, one day, during his great mission in London, Mr. Moody was holding a meeting in a theater packed with the most select audience. Noblemen and noble women were in large numbers and a prominent member of the royal family was in the royal office. Mr. Moody rose to read the scripture lesson and he attempted to read Luke chapter 4, and verse 27. It says there, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah. He has the same trouble that I have sometimes. When he came to that name, Elias, he stammered and he stuttered over it. He went back to the beginning of the verse and he began to read it and he read it again. Each time he couldn't get over it. He went back a third time, and again, the word was too much for him. He closed the Bible, and with deep emotion, he looked up to God and prayed, 
O God, use this stammering tongue to preach Christ crucified to these people. The power of God came upon him, and one who heard him then uh, heard him oftentimes. Others said he never heard Mr. Moody pour out his soul in such torrent of eloquence as he did then. And the whole audience was melted by the power of God. You know, the tongue can be used for good or bad. Blessing or curse. And sometimes, some of us stumble and we stutter and we can't quite get over some words. And many times, yet God will use us if we'll let our tongues be given over to Him. Let's pray. Father, heaven, thank you for 